This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hansen. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Viral Miguels. Chapter 5 Temptation and a Crest. Stiverant did not speak at once, and Thurley was busy with her task. A few more carriages and several cars, enticed thus quickly to the park by promise of the sun, were met and passed. Still clinging to his broken wrist, the man with Thurley watched her intently, more and more engrossed by her beauty. You saw my embarrassment, my predicament, he said at length, referring to the recent introduction. Now that you are acquainted with mine, don't you think I ought to at least to know your name? We're almost there. Columbus Circle, she answered, nodding toward the slender, graceful monument visible now beyond the trees. In a moment you will have a better driver. After that, she left the sentence incomplete. "'After that?' he repeated. "'You will certainly let me see you again, if only to thank you to—' She glanced at him brightly. "'Oh, but you have thanked me already quite sufficiently. Where shall I drive you now?' He suddenly felt that he could not permit her to go so soon, behold her vanish as strangely as she had arrived, leaving him nothing save the memory of a singularly delightful encounter. If uh, you do not mind, perhaps I'd be wiser to go home at once, he told her tentatively. If it takes you too far from your own destination, the car is entirely at your service. She flushed with pleasure at the thought of prolonging the joy already experienced, not only with the car, but also with its owner. She felt herself greatly tempted. It almost seemed as if the fates had bestowed this opportunity upon her, this opening into the wondrous world whose gate she was eagerly seeking. It might be so easy to push a little forward here, avail herself of this man's acquaintance, attempt to meet and cultivate Mrs. Van Kirk, and forge toward the gilded social goal. But she dared not assume the risk. They would find her out. She could not play the role. It was not the path by which she had hoped to succeed. As a matter of fact, she was unprepared for the developments the fates had brought about, and could follow her instinct only. But to take this injured fellow being home, that at least was barely human. She asked him quietly, Where do you live? On the farther side of the park? Fifth Avenue, he answered, and told her the number and corner of the street. Is it an imposition, he added, because, of course, I'll drive you there, she interrupted. I hope there's a doctor nearby. And then you'll let me send you home, of course. She flushed to the tips of her ears. Permit him thus to discover the poor old tawdry place that was all she could call her home. She would rather have walked to the ends of the earth. She gave him the briefest of glances. 
I shall ask you to have me return to the park, to the place where you found me, if you please. Oh, but is it very much to ask? It's nothing, nothing less than nothing, but I hoped, I rather wished. It occurred to him suddenly that she might have alighted from a car or carriage of her own to sit for a time in the park. She might be missed by those who had left her with the squirrels, perhaps some man, perhaps some princely husband. He wondered why he'd thought of a prince, and glanced at her wedding finger only to find her hand was gloved. I wish to do anything to please you, to restore you to your previous enjoyment of the day, he told her honestly. Are you sure that is all I may do? Quite sure. They were gliding swiftly through Fifty-Ninth Street. They came to the plaza with its huge hotels, its dull gold equestrian statue of Sherman, and its tide of carriages and automobiles going into and out of the park. Thoroughly turned the corner, entered Fifth Avenue, steered out round one of the huge green autobuses, and continued northward on her way. Styverant, more worried by the thought of presently losing the thrill of her presence at his side than he was by his swollen wrist, could think of nothing to say or to do that would penetrate the mystery of her personality. He had never felt so baffled or so eager in his life. He cudgelled his wits for a means of attaining his desire to know her and exact a promise she would permit him to see her again but all in vain. The impending termination of their ride seemed rather to confuse than to clear his senses. It does seem as if you might let me thank you, see you, and thank you properly, when I'm more like myself, he suggested at last, as thoroughly observed they had only another block to travel. In your own words, is that so much for me to ask? "'This is your street,' said Thurley, once more colouring. "'Uptown or downtown corner?' "'Uptown,' said Stivert reluctantly, and the car was brought to a halt beside the curb. He alighted, experiencing a new attack of weakness and pain from his hurt. For the first time he noted the dainty bit of handkerchief lying at Thurley's feet. Then she, too, stepped out to the curb to turn at once to the tonneau, open its door, and seat herself therein. "'I hope you will get immediate relief,' she said. "'Please do not delay any longer.' He fancied that some sense of embarrassment, together with impatience to return to her friends in the park, was revealed by the look in her eyes. "'I'll send someone at once,' he answered, loath to lose her from his sight. "'I trust we're not saying good-bye. Thurley, too, regretted the passing of the hour, her one golden hour in many months. She smiled. Shall it be off Weeda's end? His left hand, supporting his broken wrist, abandoned its charge for a moment. He raised his cap, enduring great pain in the effort. Off Weeda's end, for we shall meet again, he said. I believe in fate. "'Oh, your wrist!' she exclaimed. "'Please hurry with your wrist.' He nodded and smiled whitely once more, supporting his arm in his hand. 
then up the steps he ascended as the door abruptly opened and a servant in livery appeared thoroughly watched him till he turned in the vestibule and smiled again wanly then the servant shut his stoic suffering from sight barely five minutes later another servitor appeared saluting thoroughly with a semi-military gesture he first surreptitiously secured and pocketed the tiny lace handkerchief lying near the wheel post of the car all by special order then assumed the seat so recently occupied by thoroughly herself and headed at once for the park in the briefest seeming time they had come to the spot where stivern's accident occurred here the man halted the auto and alighted to open the door you are quite certain miss i may not drive you elsewhere uh, may not be of further service quite certain thank you answered thoroughly already experiencing a certain sensation of loneliness and depression thus to face once more the desolation of her life and she stepped from the car with a regal grace that made the man salute her as before he hesitated uncertainly for a moment then in strict obedience to instructions once more resumed his seat and drove away thoroughly sat down she had nothing else to do save to wonder at what had transpired once again the clouds obscured the sun the gold and vermilion of the foliage dulled and the lights burned lower in her eyes she rose at last to walk from the park to the elevated road for a train that would carry her home meantime stivern racked with pain as his surgeon set the broken bone in place with all impatience for his man's return with the car that worthy arrived with commendable promptness and set up the flimsy bit of lace he felt he had shamefully stolen no sooner was the injured man alone than he shook out the faintly perfumed gossamer and eagerly scanned the tiny mark embroidered in one of its corners a sense of joy and a sense akin to hopelessness arose in his being together a crest he murmured excitedly i knew it i felt it in the air End of chapter 5